Hello and welcome again to episode three, Smart Home, Stupid People. My name is Eris Felmuth. Hello, <laughs> this is uh, Madeline Sieger. <laughs> exactly. Could it be that the more we... Ugh, man, I got to learn to read my own writing. Could it be <laughs> that the more accommodating our environment is, the more we lose the ability to take care of ourselves? This is the main question, I think, that fuels what we do here and what this show is about. You know, it's not necessarily about saying that uh, people are stupid and that technology is great or vice versa. It's about looking really at the, at, at the way that we interact with mm -hmm. our environment, i.e. the technology that we have now brought into our lives over the past uh, you know, years leading up to the present. And um, what's it doing for us? How, how, how does that affect us and so on and so forth? So I'd like to kick things off. Today is about perceptions. Very interesting. I'm actually really excited about this episode. And um, before we jump into perceptions, I want to I want to kind of give a little bit of a, a, a biography, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of relevant, I think, um, to explain what brought us to where we are now, because obviously mm -hmm. the way that we perceive our life um, helps us guide the way that we want to interact with it and so on and so forth. So yeah. um, why don't you kick it off with a little bit about yourself? I know we did this a little bit in episode one, but today we're going to get a little bit more into, uh, I guess, the details that are relevant mm -hmm. to what this is about. So kick it off, Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if it's about perception, I may just start from there. I think um, when I started studying biology, my perception was more narrow than it is right now. Although I studied all these things, how animals see, how they smell, how they perceive their environment, maybe also through um, hearing and all the different senses, chemical sense, um, as I said, the smell. And yeah, these, these things I learned, but I'd never really understood what it really means also to my life that you have to perceive your environment and you can only do it by being aware and being in the moment and really smelling, hearing, touching and um, seeing your environment. So take the time and observe and see what you can perceive from that situation, which means being conscious, I would say. And that's the word I just throw it out there <laughs> that we might also can discuss later on a little bit. But I was not conscious. I was very subconscious. And most of the time in my life, I remembered I knew I wanted to become a biologist. So but this, you say most of the time, uh, you mean like when you were a child, when you were a teen, you know? I would say when I was a teenager, when I was a child, I, I think I was very conscious. Um, I grew up in in a very... Uh, yeah, rural area, like a little village. Um, we had maybe 350 inhabitants or something, like really not much. My my grandparents, they built like kind of a farm. So I grew up amongst uh, chickens and, <laughs> and little piggies. And uh, I have to interject. I always, whenever something funny happens around here, I always kind of say, oh, were you raised in a barn? And I'm like, oh shit, you were. Sorry about that. So, yeah. It's, keep going. <laughs> the, the, the piggies were in the stall next door to where she was raised as a child. Yeah. And it didn't, you know, I didn't, I think it did me, it did good to me. <laughs> yeah, I have well, not, eh? I have no allergies. Uh, I'm pretty healthy all my, most of my life. And 
So, but what I wanted to say is like, that's how I grew up. And I was very, very much in tune with the moment. I loved to help my grandpa when he prepared the food for the chickens and, and the, the piggies. I still know the smell of the food and being in a moment, not, not, not worrying about the future or not thinking about the past. I, I think something that children, you know, are very, it's, it's very natural to them because I think that's the natural state. That's how we come to this world uh, until all these ideas uh, are put in our head. And I was really lucky because, again, I grew up in a very natural area. We had forests, we had lakes, and I spent a lot of time outside being, really being with nature, spending time with with just sitting and, and you know, like grasping and and watching birds and really playing in the dirt <laughs> my hands. So yeah, looking at the clouds. <laughs> looking at the clouds. Yeah. So um, I, I was also a single child. So I had no, I have no siblings, which I had to play with myself kind of <laughs> <laughs> again. And that's how I ended up really observing and really perceiving my environment and connecting to nature on a very, very deep level. And I think this is um, the reason why I wanted to become a biologist to not only perceive, but also to understand how everything works, which is a nice thing. But on the other hand, it led me more into a logical mind and it took me away from the perception. And I spent many, many, many hours reading books and learning on a very logical level about nature, but yet not being in nature anymore. I spent so much time in the lecture room, in my in my little room, my studying room, <laughs> and I was not outside outside anymore. And I think this is something that we can also put into perspective when we talk about smart home, stupid people, and the more uh, the more accommodating our environment is. Well, who wants to go outside where it's cold and rainy when you have mm -hmm. a beautiful house where it's warm and always nice, but yet you're missing out these these natural cycles and really being in nature and what that actually means. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's well while you're on the topic, let's let's uh, <laughs> rewind back to the uh, '80s. We're talking GDR uh, in a little village of 350 people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, what was your what was your immediate environment like per se? Like uh, you had a lot of people living in your home. Well, I mean, not a lot, but you had three generations living yeah. in one house. Yeah, yeah, that was actually pretty normal where I uh, mm -hmm. grew up in. So it's 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 about like. An hour away from Berlin, really in the rural area and outskirts. Well, of an Berlin. hour away today. Yeah, I, th I think with those little trabis <laughs> back then, it would have taken a little longer. Yeah, it would have taken a little longer. <laughs> you know, going sixty. True, and there, I, I don't know if there there was a train, but also it took like three hours. I don't know. Yeah, well, it only came twice a day, right? Probably, yeah. and yeah, so I, I I don't really remember that much when I grew up in the uh, DDR uh, time. I was six when the wall came down, so. But I remember that, yeah, our like as as you said, I grew up in a in a family. My my grandparents, yeah. lived, my parents, and I was practically raised by my grandparents because you know, like my parents, they they, they worked working, a lot, yeah. and that was pretty normal for that time. Well, and also putting the children in a very on a very young age into childcare and and like a daycare. It was called Krippe, like cradle. <laughs> Even for the really, really young babies, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that that's a, that's normal. a very normal thing, and and I didn't really realize that it has kind of always been that way, at least for quite some time here in Germany, that parents give up their kids 
like, yeah. you know, with diapers pretty much within the first year or so uh, to um, to the caregivers, whether it be yeah. an official daycare or uh, actually, I mean, nowadays it's all official daycare. Uh, back then, I'm sure it wasn't. It was probably more uh, with families or uh, our no, friends. No, it was really a very... Um, from from the government uh, so it was official, organized yeah it was then. official okay. and uh, I was lucky because my my grandparents they were always at home so I could stay with them yeah. uh, until I was a little older and then I went to kindergarten but that's how I ended up you know helping my grandpa and and being with all these animals and just yeah. really from a young age seeing how much work it also is to prepare your own food and how it what it means to kill an animal for um, eating it for nourishment yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. nourishment yeah. All right. Well, I, the the reason why I also wanted to kind of put perspective or put light onto the '80s for you because um, you know we're talking about a very different world. We're talking about a, a world that's uh, very um, forgotten. You know, to a large degree, I think that uh, most of the Western world doesn't really understand what it's like and what it means to be East German. And um, the, you know, a big thing, specifically being here in Brandenburg, the war. Uh, obviously, the Second World War, when that ended, uh, the turmoil that it created upon the people here is, I mean, it's not really fathomable, I think, for the average Westerner to understand what type of dramas um, are, are, are maintained by these people even to today. Uh, and this is a big reason why I think that logical thinking was so pushed onto people, because uh, it was uh, it was a very cutthroat, um, or it was a very post-traumatic, I think, um, era. Mm -hmm. And so the grandparents were constantly for, you know, on you about like, you do things this way, you don't do things this way, then uh, you're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. and, and that constant reinstating of like, you get an education, you become a good party member, you, uh, you know, work your way up the ladder, you uh, f follow the rules and pick, pick a, a life choice off of the menu of life yeah. choices. And I think that's kind of very difficult for somebody who wants to, you know, Learn about the world, be creative, mm -hmm. and, and you know. It definitely uh, uh, influenced my perception of the world. You know, um, being raised by my grandma, she and also my grandpa both were uh, involved in the Second World War. My grandma, she has been um, said kind of is that chased away or is like she was a yeah um, she was she was essentially a refugee ah, yeah, um, yeah. because I mean at that time. I'll put the camera back over. <laughs> yeah, at that time, the borders, they were in constant flux, right? And uh, she's originally from a place that was at that time Germany, which is today Czechoslovakia, I believe. Um, so the whole Prussian era, yeah. like, I mean, the, the whole Prussian borders, whether it be Poland, Czechoslovakia, uh, or Germany, um, or even to today, modern day Russia, um, they're, they're constantly moving around. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but what I wanted to say is like really she changed my perception of the world because for her the world was a very dangerous place and I you know from with that experience that history she told me many stories how the the uh, how she um, yeah she saw so much violence and also um, violence was violence was done to her and her family that she of course wanted to protect me and really kind shelter, of shelter yeah. and yeah really almost to a degree where she locked me in the door uh, in the house to not <laughs> let nothing happen to me yeah. and uh, also being outside and I was like it's not a safe place Earth is it's it's dangerous yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so. 
that's that's definitely ch uh, changing your perception of people of 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 the life and you you're not so trusting anymore i guess but i still try to make my own my own point point of view of the world so mm -hmm. i traveled a lot uh, against her will <laughs> yeah. and the will of my parents although my my dad always uh, encouraged me to travel because i guess they they would never really had the opportunity uh, back then in the ddr but yeah, that's that's I think it's important to understand what what perception is and what it can do to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, we can fast forward now yeah. uh, a decade or so, and we can start to say that uh, you know you you uh, you did the academic thing. Mm -hmm. You got uh, good notes. You went to university, um, and then you started uh, becoming interested in studying abroad. Obviously. At that time, Potsdam and Berlin were very different worlds. And, I, and I'll tell you guys, I first came to Berlin in 2007, and it was another planet. And, and, and that, that Berlin is no longer mm. here. So for any of you guys that heard of all the great stories of what Berlin was like a decade ago or even seven years or five years ago, it's, it's, it's pretty much like every major metropolitan today. Yeah, changed. Um, but it was such a, a fascinating planet, I want to call it, because it yeah. really was its own planet. <laughs> you go there and you're in a different world. Um, so she, from what, you know, obviously I know Madeline very well. <laughs> so I'm kind of trying to dig a bit of this out of here, <laughs> out of her today in order to uh, come into our topic properly. Um, you started, you know, obviously being a biologist, uh, post-grad, you uh, started going to conferences. You started traveling mm -hmm. a bit. And as mm -hmm. you mentioned, your parents you know, when you would say, hey, Ma, I'm going to Tasmania. <laughs> well, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't a very easy conversation. No. Right? First of all. Even I, though it was paid by the the, the, yeah. the university and all that stuff, she didn't have to flip a corner for it. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just be, because I was raised so sheltered, I had a big urge of like freedom and just I just wanted to explore the world. And yeah. so when I actually was able to, when I was old enough and also had the opportunity during my studies to go somewhere, the oh. government was kind of paying for my education as well. And that I just wanted to to go as far as possible. <laughs> so I picked the I wanted to go to Australia, but I didn't want to end up in the big cities. But really being out there in the wilderness. And so Tasmania, for those of you who have no idea, <laughs> it's actually a little island underneath um, Australia, also called Under Down Under. And it's a, it is Australia. I mean, it is Australia. But if you ask Australians if Tasmania is Australia, they'll probably say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely different. The people are really different because it's just it's just so off. Off. <laughs> and that was exactly what I wanted to, yeah what I wanted to do just being as far as possible away from from home and just trying to get a new perspective and yeah. see new things but it was hard to tell my parents that I want to do this especially mm -hmm. my mother she was like no you can't it's way too far away and so I had to to really um work against that energy, I would call it, and it's 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 a hard energy. If people are afraid and uh, want control, and you take away their control, right? So mm -hmm. they're really like getting angry, even. And yeah, it was not easy, but I was. I glad. Struggle. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, you know, um, and that led up to you being able to go to conferences all over the place and and study and um, do field work. I mean, you've done field work in Mexico, conferences mm -hmm. in Japan. Um, 
uh, all over Europe, obviously, yeah. Scotland, um, Canada even did some research over there. You did yeah. an intern, I think, in France. Yep. And then um, Mexico, you did uh, field research over there. Yeah. And that was, uh, from, what I, from what I've heard, Mexico is always full of fun stories, you know, specifically for uh, a six-foot white girl who's going down there to, uh, <laughs> you know, innocently look at fish and flowers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, still to that day, I, I think I have many protective spirits around me <laughs> that I would care of myself mm -hmm. uh, because I ended up in many kind of dangerous situations because maybe because naively. I was, yeah, yeah, naively, because I was raised like very sheltered and not really knowing how world can, can well, be, but also... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm now at also at a point where I, I think I already said in the first episode that I'm following my intuition. Mm -hmm. And I was always, even back then when I was not so intuitive because I was not very conscious about my decisions, I just did what I thought I have to do. With Mexico, it was part of my education. I um, wanted to do some research. And so I said, okay, you know, we, we go to Mexico. And I thought, well, that's a cool opportunity, um, I'm, I'm coming, <laughs> not really knowing how and what and where. Um, and I, there were a couple of really dangerous situations back then, but still, yeah, I guess, you know, like I was lucky or guided yeah. somehow. Yeah, 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 you're protected. <laughs> I was protected and protected. nowadays I can really understand that even better and I can even connect better to these yeah. um, energies. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into perceptions. Yeah. I, I think that actually yeah. it makes sense because uh, we we just uh, went. Uh, look at that. Twenty two lit minutes still on you know, in the clock. I know, and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's just like a tiny little just blip. Little piece. Yeah. Of uh, of what you have done and what you are. Um, I think it actually works well to now go from Mexico mm -hmm. into perceptions because in Mexico you studied a couple of fish who have yeah. uh, who have very interesting characteristics. Yeah. You know. Um, and in your first book, uh, do we have a copy here? Ah, we don't. Oh, yeah. You know what? what well, we, we can, can do. You can have a look on, on the website. Also, I was thinking I could have actually showed you guys a picture of that um, of that cave molly. But uh, maybe we well, can... They don't, they don't know anything about cave molly. They didn't say anything yet. Yeah, well, I can. <laughs> <laughs> but, All yeah. right, let, let's jump in. What did you study in Mexico? <laughs> Just do that stuff. So... When when I was in Mexico, uh, my my PhD super, like by, back then it was my diploma supervisor. He was working with fish called um, or it's a group of fish called Pucelide. There are life bearing fish, which is kind of unusual because normally fish are very I would say not very romantic in their love <laughs> making. So you have the male and they just put out their their semen onto the eggs of the female and she put out the eggs somewhere, you know, in the water. So they don't really have to do anything with each other in order no. to make offsprings. Offsprings, there's no physical contact needed. <laughs> yeah, no copulation in the no copulation human context. No, nothing. Yeah. yeah. And so but these fish are different. They actually have an internal insemination and they give birth to life life fish. That means so, they have sex. That means that they have sex. <laughs> well, sex, if you understand that, you know, really have uh, that the, the male sperm needs to go into the female in order to fertilize the egg, if you want to call that well, sex. Has, the, the, sex. the male have schlongs and the females have places <laughs> to put it. Kind of, yeah. But <laughs> in right. that specific fish, uh, it's it's called the schlong. <laughs> <laughs> as you call it, um, is called a gonopodium, which looks a little bit like it. It's like a tiny little thing <laughs> attached to the to the fish. Um, 
And so, yeah, he has to put it into into her. And so that's the internal insemination. And because of that, they have way more interactions, way more, way more communication going yeah. on. And specifically with fish, it's interesting because they live in swarms. It's like a communication network. You have so many senders uh, and receivers of information, a yeah. lot of visual information, even chemical information. And so we were interested in how the, the mating actually really works with these fish, especially how the males pick the females. Like, is there any is there any ch- features they're looking for in a female? <laughs> you know, just like, uh, yeah, like in humans, maybe some prefer the, the, the larger, the yeah. bigger ones, some the smaller ones. And with these fish specifically, we did some tests with a fish tank. And now that I'm telling all these, I have pictures actually. <laughs> we, well, I, 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 was, I didn't know you were going to go so deep into yeah, the fishies either. today. You know, <laughs> let's go deep into the fishies next time. Yeah, okay, and let's, we'll let's just, jump into instead yeah. the concept of perception. And what I really want to get into is communication. Yeah, because okay, well, communication in biology and communication in modern day human life and putting it into context yeah. is very fascinating. I was I was going to talk actually about that. <laughs> so oh, okay. I wanted to say what communication means in the, this fish swarm. But maybe, well, yeah, just let's start there. So I, I was... I went to Mexico because of these fish, because they have these communication networks. But now, first, we need to know what is actually communication and why it's interesting to look at it. So you want to, yeah, please change that. So here I have a picture. It's actually in my book, um, Nature's Never Silent, because I had to first understand and also define what is communication in nature. And it was the hardest thing for me to do because... Yeah, it's not so easy to to really explain that. If you ask um, a um, psychologist, he might tell you something different about communication than someone who's studying communication science or (laughs) even in uh, informatics, like a programmer, right? Understands something different about it. And the words, the jargon, everything, yeah. And so even in biology, there are different ideas about what communication really can be, specifically in the behavioral biology world. And so how I ended up with putting all these different ideas together, which made most of the sense. So the very general definition is that you have a sender, as you can see here in that picture. Um, I, I just drew um, uh, that it's a blackbird, right? I don't know. It's a blackbird. Okay, if it's called a blackbird, it's a blackbird. <laughs> I'm just thinking like the, the German word is Amsel. But just see, let look at these birds. Uh, also, matter. before we we uh, you know we leave the German, uh, so signal is easy for you English people yeah. out there. Sender is easy. Empfänger is receiver. Yeah. For all of you guys looking at this, wondering what that word is, you have sender, receiver, and in the middle you have a signal. Yeah, that was from the German translation. And so, yeah, you have the, the 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 left bird on the left side. So that's the male bird. And he's the sender in that picture. He sends out a signal, which can be optical information. It can also be like acoustic information, like a like a little tweet tweet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and on the right side, side, you see the female and she is the receiver of this signal, of this information. And so the very classical view of communication in um, biology is that it is only communication when the receiver reacts onto the signal of the sender. So there must be a reaction of the receiver. So then this is communication, but it doesn't really say what kind of reaction. Is it that this bird has to maybe jump closer to the male and, you know, try to um, copulate with the female? Or is it that it's already enough reaction that the bird, the, the female, actually really under, 
like hears there's something coming and mm-hmm. coming and she changes something in her, her brain that can also be a reaction. So I I understood or I put it that way as um, you need to have a sender and a receiver for a communication. I think that's clear. <laughs> and that receiver needs to be able to really not only taking in the information, but also processing it. And now we going even deeper. Um, that's why I, <clears throat> why I say it's actually biocommunication because communication can only be done by a living organism, something that is able to really percept an information with its senses, for example, ears, eyes, um, with, with yeah, noses. These are the the receptors. These are the maybe later we can actually translate yeah, that into will, technical yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so that's important because without any senses, this this bird and also me and you, <laughs> you're not able to perceive your environment. You're not able to get information in, and basically these are not information yet. And I always like to put that in a nice comparison. When you go to work in the morning and you pass on the train station and there's like a little kiosk where you want to, where they, they sell newspapers. All these newspapers, they are full of data. And um, until you, you take one of these newspapers, you pay for it and then you start reading, these data become information to you because you read the text and then your brain actually starts processing it and it's information for you. But if you would never pick up that newspaper, there's still the data, but it's no information for mm. you. There's nothing that you take in from. Also, if that newspaper is maybe it's written a different language that you can't read, also data, but no information for you because you're not able to decode the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly uh, how it works in nature with the communication. So the the female, she knows what that signal means. She knows, oh, this is like he trying to call for a female because he's now ready for mating. <laughs> so she exactly knows what that means. And because of evolution over the generations, this this uh, communication has been transferred from generation to generation because it's very important to know that signal, right? <laughs> they all want to procreate. And so then she reacts on it, but she also can react in it in, in her brain. Um, so for me, communication is really a reaction from the receiver to the sender and that is basically everywhere around us. There's mm-hmm. always uh, a reaction to an information. It doesn't even need to be, um, yeah, d- be directed to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like you, like you uh, properly said, you have um, data, yeah, which is constantly being emitted. Absolutely, and, always. And we are, act, you know, consciously or unconsciously aware. Uh, are, are are emitting billions of pieces of data yeah. from ourselves all the time. Whether that data can be received by a person or by uh, another animal or by anything, yeah. you know, by the camera, then it gets translated into information. If that, if that, um, if that uh, device, let's say, I'm going to talk, I'm going into technical <laughs> things, or, or that that organism has the ability to accept the inf- the data from that channel and that channel uh could be you know the the chemical um communications yeah. or the uh um acoustic Im- communications which acoustics are essentially pressure waves right that vibrate uh and then you have the EMF communications which can be the spectrum of light for example mm-hmm. and so on and so forth yeah um and it's the same thing in the in 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 um you know 
Uh, before I go into any of the tech stuff, I think it's uh, it's also really important to say that when Madeline was writing her book and was a bit stumped on, <laughs> oh my God, I've been a biologist for so long and I'm having difficulty explaining yeah. communication. What did she do? She wrote her colleagues. She said, hey guys, um, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be a, a very interesting question, but what's communication exactly? I mean, mm. what is information? What is a channel? What is the sender? What's, uh, well, sender we know, but what's the signals? What's the channel? What's data and what's information? Can you put that into context? A couple of her colleagues said, yeah, I, I don't know. Those words are usually just interchangeable in our field, so we don't give it much thought. Mm. Whenever she wrote her professors, <laughs> <laughs> they, they wrote back like a page <laughs> of just gibberish. To try and 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 I think you know I don't. It was just a copy of a textbook. Yeah, you know, exactly, like, right? Like, like they're like they're like. Well, I can't say I don't know, so I'm just going to source something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. <laughs> which but, which is uh, totally normal. That's how we all do it. We all refer to someone else, but this is also how it information. Help. No, how information <laughs> gets trans- more questions yeah, than answers. <laughs> transferred, and no one at the end knows what it yeah. really means because no one really thinks about it. That's right. Um, and I I cared enough to you know, to really go deep into it. The same right now with my second book about stress. You wouldn't believe <laughs> how much this word has been tortured <laughs> oh, <laughs> over yeah, yeah. over the years in, in science. So um, that was the same oh. kind of, uh, yeah, the same pattern I, I saw and was interesting really yeah. for me to yeah. see yeah. that most of the scientists don't care enough to really go deep. Yeah, yeah. or it's just not relevant anymore yeah, to their modern field, anymore. which That's is true. really like, really crazy it's it's the same yeah. it's that same idea when you're in school and you learn long division you learn the steps but do you understand it do you understand what's actually going on or square roots or or mm. later on like i mean in chemistry when you start doing stoichiometry and all these kind of things it's easy to just take the equation and say this goes there but do you really know what's going on and i i, I couldn't believe like specifically <laughs> that with the professors I, I couldn't help but laugh um because there's a there's a classic saying um, in, in, in my unfortunate industry. Well, it's not just my industry. I mean, this is more of a business industry. When in doubt, spread confusion. Mm. And that seems to be the go-to thing for, I think, a lot of people in higher education when they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they're like, just spread confusion. And people will assume that, you know, you're all right. Yeah, you yeah. know, they just act like it's so complicated that it's their fault. <laughs> it's their problem. <laughs> I even cited it in my uh, second book now that because I like that so much. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and it's true. It's absolutely yeah. true, right? So <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is true. Yeah, um, and I see that in my industry all the time. Yeah. Like, Anyway, um, so what I wanted to do is that now we have a nice round understanding uh, uh, of what information is, right? As yeah. we talked, we have the birds here. We have the the, the data that's being emitted by the sender. Mm-hmm. We have the receiver who, <laughs> let's say, is now matured to age and understands what's happening, right? So the information is being translated and uh, the information channel in this case will be acoustics. And then, you know, visual and, you know, maybe they get uh, close to one another and there are pheromones and chemicals involved as well. So those would be the different channels that are being involved. And the birds who are not of the same species or not uh, interested they, they or, or just don't speak the same dialect. Birds, yeah. birds have different la- dialects and languages. Yep. They, they'll hear the data being sent from the sender, but they won't react on it 
the same way. I mean, they might react on it in the sense that the hawk might say, oh, there's lunch, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's that's information for him now, True. right? Yeah. So that that data that he sent out doesn't also necessarily mean that it can also, that can only be deciphered and decoded mm. um, in, into one potential piece of information. It's yeah. many. It's actually called eavesdropping in uh, in the bi- behavioral biology world. It's the same in English. It, yeah. Eavesdropping is eavesdropping, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, but, but Spying. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah good old, uh, <laughs> but maybe and on that point, I can actually refer back to um, to Mexico, why I was interested in that communication network of the fish, and then mm-hmm. we'll go to the perception thing again. Yeah, is that when you have a fish swarm, then obviously you have a lot of senders, you have a lot of receivers, and then you have that eavesdropping. And so one question was back then that to see how males actually um, pick out the females when they are observed by other males, and it has a little bit to do with. Um, yeah, mis- misleading and um, yeah, yeah. Mis- misconception. Is yeah. that the right one? Yeah. Well, well, so. <laughs> well, I think misleading is actually true. So yeah, how how mis- to mislead the other yeah. uh, males so that they can get the prize. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And uh, again, I don't want to go into the detail of that one. We might just pick that for another episode. All right. But these, kind, these fish um, in Mexico... They're interesting because they they live in different in different environments. So one of them, well, some of them live in um, in areas where there is still light and this very sulfuric water because there are a lot of sulfur caves uh, there. And then the same the same species kind of also lives close by in the cave where there is no light anymore. And you also have the sulfur water. There is just just difference between the light and the dark, but the mm. species is the same. But over the generations, there actually has become like a reproductive barrier between these um, two different fish. So one is called the cave molly. <laughs> so that was the one living in the cave. And then you have the, um, the, the normal molly, who is actually living outside of the cave. And they are beautifully colored. And the ones in the cave look like ghosts. They lost their pigmentation. Their eyes are reduced. And yeah, so I think that is a very nice example of explaining or yeah, explaining the the saying, you lose what you don't use yeah. uh, in, yeah. in terms of perception. Why would it make any sense to perceive information through light? When there is no light, <laughs> why would you want to communicate through colors and movements when mm-hmm. your receiver won't see anything? It's like, you know, you buy yourself a mo- mobile phone to call someone, but you have no reception. That doesn't make any sense. It's just waste of energy and time and money. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the same in nature. If something is not useful, if it just costs and doesn't doesn't do anything, it's just, it just out, like it, it won't persist. It gets phased out. Yeah, yeah. get phased out and won't persist over um, over generations, and you see that with these um, cave mollies, they are more. Their senses are more now focused on smell, for example, and also on 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 um, on uh, tech, tactile, tactile. Um, yeah, like texture so and, t- and yeah, touch. touch and kind of things. Yeah. So they have more receptive, um, more receptors on the skin, actually. Hmm. Yeah, and their eyes are really reduced, so they can see a little bit. I think like uh, gray, gray shading, but no colors and no really have a very good um, view anymore. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Let's, let's jump into uh, what I actually talked about last time. And that is when I when I explained, I don't have my uh, my pictures in front of me today, so I'm just going to explain it again. <laughs> I know. Hey, eh? um, last uh, last episode was a fun one. We, uh, we 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 started really late. We had 
bugs and glitches and uh, poltergeists and uh, all the fun things. Murphy was on our ass. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, what we, we, you know, the show went on, right? So I ended up actually re-uploading it because there was a, while well, I was actually explaining my slide, there was no audio. <laughs> and so I re-uploaded that. So for you guys out there who didn't, who realized, hey, he's talking and there's no sound, you can go back now and listen to it yeah. because the sound is there. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a quick recap, at, uh, you know, because what I said was actually really important and unfortunately it kind of tied the whole program in together. <laughs> it was gone. It happens. Um, today we we tested everything. So I, I presume and I hope that uh, we're being heard. And uh, we are live. We're live yeah. on uh, Rumble, Rockfin, uh, DLive, and Twitch. DLive and Twitch, we'll see your comments right away. Rockfin and Rumble are going to be a little bit delayed because I have to go over to a different page here and see if anyone's actually, you know, tuning in because Rumble and Rockfin, unfortunately, don't integrate their live chats into Restream, which is what we are using in order mm -hmm. to broadcast out to simulcast out to uh, multiple platforms at the same time. Um, that being said, leave a comment if you have any questions while Madeline is here and I am here, post them. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to them as, yeah. uh, you know, in due time. Um, so... What I explained last time was uh, the difference between conventional lighting system and the bus lighting system. And the reason why I explained that is because um, when you talk about the concept of smart homes and building automation and so on and so forth, a lot of people like to think about the Iron Man thing where you just talk into the air and everything happens. <laughs> and and, and, and the, the important thing to understand is there's a basic infrastructure that needs to be created before all these little niceties can be added on. Um, that means that the the actual using of your of your phone or uh, the voice commands and so on and so forth in order to um, command anything that has been built, typically there has to be a structure that's already built for that, and then you install a device that will become a bridge and will translate the information uh, from one program that you write in the bus system to the other program that you write in the IP world that will then talk to your phone devices and so on and so forth. And um, the very simple way of explaining it is that in a conventional lighting system that we know of, that we all know of growing up, you have your light bulb in the ceiling and you have your switch on the wall for switching the light on and off. The power. So uh, over here, it's, it's um, 230. In North America, you got 120. Um, the power cable that's coming from the light, the electricity is, is wired directly to the switch. And then you, and then from the switch to the distribution panel where you have the fuses and so on and so forth. And then you switch, you toggle that switch on and off and the electricity gets cut or, you know, continued so that it can light or turn off mm -hmm. the light bulb. Uh, very easy, very, very simple. Uh, but that also means that you all, the entire time you always have 230 or, you know, you have high voltage electricity in the wall going to the keypad. That that never gets severed, right? The, the, the run from the fuse, from the distribution panel, going to the switches in the wall, uh, is it's always under, under high voltage. And um, in the bus, system world. This is the more modern way of, of, of uh, doing lighting. And it's, I really like it. I'll tell you the, the bus automate, the bus lighting system should really become uh, a standard because it's a very stable, uh, it's we, we, the, the standard we call over here KNX and AIB. Um, it's like 30 years old. Um, it's, it's very simple communication um, uh, standard and it's, and it, and if you build it properly, 
it's so robust and it's and it's really reliable. And it'll allow you to do a couple things. So the big difference is, is within the wiring, obviously. You no longer wire the light bulb directly to the switch. You mm -hmm. wire the light bulb directly to the distribution panel. Mm -hmm. Done, right? So the only wires that are under high voltage are going from the lights all the way to the distribution panel. And in the distribution panel, it lands on um, an actuator. Now, an actuator is pretty much a switch. Like for all you guys that don't know what an actuator in a relay is, uh, the actuator- like me? <laughs> The technical stuff, yeah. The actuator. I wonder if I have one here. I can uh, next time. The actuator has, uh, you know, multiple channels on it, and each channel is a relay, which is essentially a little switch. You know, mm. for, imagine the invisible man inside the distribution panel, toggling <laughs> all the different switches. And uh, what that then does is, is it gives us the opportunity to run a bus cable, which is a low voltage cable, that uh, is going to be chased from the distribution panel to the keypads. And the keypads can be like networked and wired in, in, a, star, in a star form configuration, uh, which means that you just don't have any loops because of the electricity, uh, the low voltage running through it. And in a, in a very simple context, what this means is now I can put a, a, a bus keypad on the wall, right, to replace the, the old switch that we have had. And um, when I toggle a button on there, it's going to tell channel one or whatever on the actuator, hey, close or open your relay or your switch to turn the light on and off. And the cool thing I like about that, because I'm not a fan of, of being around uh, electronics and all that stuff, as funny as that may seem. <laughs> uh, I know, I'm actually very low tech in my life. I, this this whole live streaming <laughs> thing for me, it's fun. I mean, there, there are a lot of fun things, but the lighting actually just, it, it gets to me. It's, it's, uh, I, I can only do it in short bursts. So after this, yeah. I'm going to go outside and, and you know have a drink. It's actually in, people in yeah. People who are in our house actually probably won't believe that you are well, programmer. If they, if, if, yeah, if they didn't see my truck out front with the with the, with the logos and then actually see my my yeah. tech shelf over here, they would never imagine that that's what. Like I, I upstairs, do. we actually have no direct electricity. Well, this like is kind of, uh, no, 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 no. so we we live in an old house that uh, we are uh, that's under construction. No, I said too much. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> And um, I ripped out all the cables. The first thing I did when I moved in here, I took everything out. And then we we, we just chased uh, temporary cables throughout the house. That was like three years ago. And, and we're still <laughs> living four, like this. Four years, and right? The, yeah. yeah, four years now. And the worst part is, is that honestly, it doesn't bother me. No, me neither. Like, like we, we it, it's awful. Like we <laughs> don't like have, camping, anyway. Camping style. Yeah, it's kind of like homeownership and camping and homelessness all at the same time. It's, it's really fun. <laughs> So that being said, um, the, the the bus system allows the the, the the keypads to communicate with one another and to the actuator. And there are many different types of actuators. You have uh, just switchable actuators. You have dimmable actuators. Uh, you have actuators that are then later on used for heating and and sh and blinds and and fans and ventilation and all that stuff. You know, uh, even skylights opening up uh, the shutters, all that. Um, and it's uh, what's really cool about that is that within the keypads, you can have uh, little niceties like thermostats built into them, humidity detectors built into them, that you could then send this information down the bus if you choose to. Now, the important thing that I want to really establish is the bus system is a closed, low-voltage bus system. It's the stupidest system. Like, I mean, there's it, it, when you get it, it's completely open. And very similarly to what Madeline was explaining earlier about... Um, here, let me just go back to mm -hmm. this about the birds with the sender, um, the receiver, and the signal being sent. It is not any different mm -hmm. in the sense that one keypad 
will 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 put a, a binary signal out into the bus, and it'll be a zero or a one for a light on or off. Mm-hmm. Every single device in that in, in that bus configuration will receive the data, mm-hmm. but only the ones that have been told that the address this boolean this uh, this binary one or zero is being sent to only the devices with those addresses will actually interpret that data as information mm-hmm. and react upon mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same principle. And I, I really mm-hmm. love the, the, the bus system um, because it really is modeled after nature. It's, it's, it's so simple to the point where yep. it, it's so stable and, and it, and it's proven the test of time, right. Mm-hmm. Um, over and over again, right. You, I, I go into buildings sometimes and I see actuators that are 30 years old and the customer says, should I upgrade? I said, are they, are they broken? Then don't right like unless <laughs> unless they're causing problems yeah. uh, or the copper has has been like um, corroded or uh, whatever like if, if the mineralization on the contacts are so screwed up that you can't clean them anymore it, 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 until that point I mean just if it works don't don't change a running system you know don't, don't yep. even touch it if you don't have to <laughs> if it's running just you know it's it's great yeah. Um, and and that being said it's it's this is something I really wanted to touch on is that. The the way that we build our systems today are they're built within the laws of nature, and a system that's built poorly are usually systems. Yeah, thank you. There are usually systems that are. Um, it's not that they're not built within the laws of nature. It's they're built without taking the laws of nature into consideration, mm-hmm. and so they're going to be very chaotic um, and require um, a refinement in order for it to become stable. Right, and a good example of that would be um, I can do something like, when the light is on, send me a feedback. Right, I'd like to know if it's dimmable. Is it on? Is it at fifty percent? Is it um, is it at twenty percent? Mm-hmm. Is it twenty five percent? So on and so forth. Now, that information I only really need once, mm-hmm. and that's when it happens. So if mm-hmm. I say, "Hey, light bulb, go to fifty percent." Mm-hmm. The actuator does it, and then when the light's at 50%, it sends a message back saying, hey, I'm at 50%. Yeah. That way, uh, if you then later on have um, sliders like on, 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 on touch panel displays and so on and so forth, they can calibrate themselves mm-hmm. to real feedback um, because it's not enough for me to just send the data out and expect that it happens. Yep. Right? <laughs> That's the important part. Now, That's how relationships end. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's say an improper way of doing this, and I've seen this done, um, sometimes it's because the the technology that was installed was in, was just not the right technology, or the person doing it was an idiot. I mean, it, 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 maybe it's a combination of both, right? And something sometimes people will say like, "I'm going to push this button because I want that light to go on at fifty percent," mm-hmm. and then I want this button after I push it to constantly tell that light to go on fifty percent. That way, I know it's a, it's definitely going to be on at fifty percent, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know that because it's a bus system, you can you can have you know <laughs> a, a huge number of telegrams being sent at the same time, mm-hmm. um, you know, faster than the human body can push the button. So some people will be like, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that it really gets, and I want it to be fast. So I'm going to tell it to send that signal every 50 milliseconds, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, you look at the bus. Traffic and it's like <laughs> just this constant, uh, right? Plethora of fifty percent being sold to that light, and that light's been at fifty percent long time ago. Um, and then what happens is you, you go to the second room, and, and that, that that same person who had either the wrong equipment or he was an idiot had programmed the same uh, phenomena into that second room. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, you have multiple uh, senders sending 
the same information mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again to the point where the bus is overwhelmed. It's yeah. full of traffic. Now the receivers can no longer actually decipher the data as information properly yeah, because yeah. It, because it's overwhelmed. Yeah. And this is this is a big thing in nature as well in the sense that yeah. what happens to us when we when our our sensors are overwhelmed. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, you can right? just take that one to one into the real world where some like people constantly coming at you and <laughs> constantly want something from you, constantly ask you if you get it or um and and so many people sending you information and mm -hmm. you're not sure is that actually um, is that for me is that important? <laughs> should I answer? Yeah. What should I do? <laughs> so I think that's why it's important to understand what communication really is and also um, another point is what is uh, the aim um, of communication? Right. Why yeah. why is someone communicating? And I think it's nature. It's beautifully um, seen that I, I I really dove deep into that when I wrote my book because there are many many different Which reasons. One? The first one, <laughs> the I know, second you got, you, is not, you, not there yet. You, you still got to keep that in. Uh, it's know? true. Yeah, I yeah. have to get too used to that. In, in, in four years, you're gonna have four books. I mean, yeah. that's the way it's gonna we'll be. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but that was something that I wanted to really show in my books that there are actually always the same kind of topics nature is talking about, whether it's a fungi sending information or bacteria or it's an animal or plant. It's always about um, aspects of being alive. Um, for example, reproduction, you know, how you have to find a partner. Uh, obviously, so how are you going to do this? You try to call or you try to smell good or you you do a little dance, yeah. <laughs> yeah. all these things. But the purpose is clear. You want to have a partner, not only any partner, but yeah. the best, right? Yeah. So yeah. the the best reproductive partner that you can get. And also about it's about uh, feeding and food uh, interaction, food change, uh, cha um, change, ch chain, ch chain, chain. Food chains. There you go. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Sometimes a little bit for my English. When I'm getting excited. My words are <laughs> they, they get jumbled. <laughs> they get jumbled. See how excited she gets when she talks about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, also food webs, right? How and, I was going to say that that's like all the data is in there, yeah, and it's trying to come out all at once. <laughs> and, and, and you're and exactly, it's overloaded so that your 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 simple uh, channels could no longer nope. put it into the proper context yeah. in order to translate it into information. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. So, yeah, but this was just the point that um, actually one of the the big conclusions I drew out of writing my book also that I'm always saying if I have a book reading and people ask me about that, you know, what can we actually learn from nature is like many things. But I think most important is that you have to have a clear um, point. Why are you communicating with someone and how you can really bring that information forward to make clear that the other person understood you right yeah. and also that he got he or she got it right, right? Yeah. And also the second thing is that it's so important to have that feedback um, system that you are getting any feedback from the receiver that he received your message, that he received it right. Um, what is his answer? And that is so important in, in any aspects of life. That's how evolution works for a feedback, you know, yep. seeing what works and what doesn't. And I think also for us humans out there, if you work creatively, if you're an author or if you're putting out videos, you want to have a feedback of the people listening to you or reading your stuff. Is that something useful for them? Mm -hmm. Does that make any difference in the world? <laughs> so yep. that's I think that's the most important thing that we are open for the feedback um, and really pick out the informations that which are relevant for us in order to become better at communication. Well said.
yeah. Thank well you. said. I learned right. a little bit on the way as well. Yeah. On my vacation. <laughs> constantly learning. Uh, yeah. And you're, you're, I've seen you. She's always just like plowing through books and, and it's amazing. <laughs> so uh, before we... Yeah. Uh, the word I'm looking for is uh, turn off for today. There's another word I was looking for, but that works out too. Yeah. Uh, not speaking English. Uh, you know, like it's, it's one of my nat- native languages and not speaking it natively every day it's the same thing the information's there in my head it's mm-hmm. just it doesn't come out properly anymore and it's hard if you mix it with another language as well like it's also if fun. something <laughs> the, the english <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that's true it's fun so this is Madeline's website. Yeah, looks Bef- nice. Before we, I know, th- 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 this this episode is is definitely going to be more more Doctor Madeline Siga yeah. oriented. Next time uh, we focus more on your. Ah, uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, I have I have a great idea for the next upcoming show. I'm not okay. going to tell you guys, but it's coming. Okay. Um, so here we go. Biologist, author, artist. Yeah, the artist part is something you left out a little bit in your little uh, short uh, summary. Yeah, but uh, we. We, we mentioned this last time that uh, her website is here. You guys can go and look at it, madlinesiga.com. Yep. Specifically, guys, go and take a look at the shop. Over yep. here, obviously, you know, these books, if you're within Europe, mainland Europe, I want to call it, <laughs> uh, then um, her books can be ordered uh, and, and delivered with, and it only costs a couple of euros to yep. send it. Meaning He's- that the same price that you'll pay for the book on Amazon, you'll get it from her website and it'll be signed. And when you purchase the book through the website, you can even uh, ask uh, Madeline to sign it to somebody else or write yeah. a nice message or so on. Yeah, but I have to mention these ones are only the German ones. I still have like three or four English left. <laughs> but uh, with them, I actually think you have to go to a, a international distributor for get the English version. But yeah. The German, the is that the, the the hardcover and the paperback, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's what's on the website now. We can yeah. update that. We got to get the the, the the last couple English ones on there too for you guys. Yeah, three are left. Uh, yeah, three <laughs> are left. So if you guys, if any of you guys actually yeah. want one of these books, um, write Madeline an email. Yes. Go check out the website, yeah. and then if you want to contact her, you can either use this funky little pop up thing, or you can go to uh, where's your contact. Oh, like basically, if you uh, go onto the button or if you go down, I think there's like also a contact. No, it's not. Uh oh, we got to update your uh-oh. website. This is this is nice on the spot. <laughs> but yeah, there's like the you always have the contact button, so I think that's why I decided no more well, information. Put a contact in there, anyway. you know, too many s- signals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too many information. All right. Well, I'm going to put it back in there, but All nevertheless, right. um, down here you can write her an email and she'll yeah. get it right away from the website. Boom. Done. That was a nice episode. Yeah, I liked it too. All right, guys. Good. If you liked it, let us know. Yep. Write us a message. Um, that was Madeline's website. I also wanted to take a quick second to talk about uh, one of mine. Biomusic Productions is my one of my oldest companies that I've been running for a long, long, long time now. And it's kind of a, a go-to place for a couple of things that I'm up to. I got my Levels of Absurdity uh, videocast podcast on here as well. Here you can find some of my music. My music I give I put out free into the world. So if you would like to know more, you know, mm-hmm. if you've seen Starship Troopers, you'll know what that uh, refers to. Um, here you got the, vu- the music videos, and you can just scroll down to get the album. Yep. You can contact or book, right? Well, booking depending within context. Um, and click here to get the album. Download MP3 wave yep. file done. So um, fuck Bandcamp, fuck all those other guys. Just go to the website and get it. It's for free. Yeah. No problem. And if you have iPhones, I, I wrote it down actually really nicely here. 
iPhones do not support direct downloading of music. iPhone users will have to use a computer to download the album. Yeah. Uh, your iPhone isn't broken. It was designed that way. Very important to understand hmm. that. Good. So <laughs> there we go. That's uh, that's that. Um, so write me a message. Write Madeline a message. If you guys have any uh, show ideas, yeah, let us know. Until then, we're going to be live again Sunday at 6. I think, you know, last time 8 o'clock got pushed to like 10 and it was yeah, too much. Yeah, we, we went out. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to we're gonna try and do Sunday at 6 and Wednesday at 8. Yeah. I don't see anybody writing in right now, probably because it's a new uh, um, uh, video cast, but it could also be the fact that uh, 8 p.m. for us is like 2 p.m. East Coast uh, or, you know, it's, it still might be middle of the day or morning yeah. for you guys. Oh, the cat's meowing and wants food. So, <laughs> till next good, time, good till Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We got to go. Yeah. Talk to you guys yeah. later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.